0: All right.
1: Hi, thanks for th- good.
0: Thank you. Today is uh, Christmas. Merry Christmas! And thanks again, Genevieve, for uh, asking me to do this. It's uh, it is an honor and it is a privilege to anytime you can come to the podium of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a certain responsibility I think that comes with it. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad tonight. I'm wearing long pants. I had to fill in here about five months ago, maybe four months ago, and I was in short pants. I was in short pants at a speaker meeting at a podium and I'm Tim Ayers and I'm an alcoholic. It's the absolute worst thing that could have happened to me on any day of my life. And uh, some people get mad at me because I'm fond of the structure. And uh, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, some of us think that there's a a certain respect that we uh, pay to the group, respect that we pay to the podium, and uh, respect that we pay to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's through that process that we develop self-respect in ourselves. And you know, I, uh, I did talk here about four months ago, it was on a fly because somebody was sick and Genevieve and uh, Monica asked me to step up and, uh, and fill in. And I did that. That means that you folks have uh, had an opportunity to hear my story in some respect and so I'm gonna change it up a little bit tonight. I'm not gonna lie about what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now. I just gonna tell a little bit different stuff just in case anybody was worried that I was going to tell their story since I've heard a lot of them from people in here, because I sponsor some of you and I worked with some of you in terms of working the steps. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, this meeting's come a long way. This meeting's come a long way. This was a big meeting. This YMCA meeting was a big meeting. And I remember being new and Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, and showing up over there off a of crown Valley. And there was a lot of people and it was high energy and all you know, was on fire and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, long comes COVID and, and COVID had a really significant impact on Alcoholics Anonymous. I was talking to an alcoholic today, a, a friend of mine, and we were talking about what's happened, talking about what's happened to Alcoholics Anonymous in our opinion, just in our opinion. And everybody gets an opinion in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and we were talking about how uh, how Zoom has uh, has been uh, a great boon to Alcoholics Anonymous because it's made it uh, it's made it possible for us to be here uh, pretty much from anywhere and listen to all kinds of messages all across the globe and participate in conferences and you know do things that we might not otherwise have done right. And, uh, and but then there's been this other impact it's become very detached and uh, it's become very uh, two-dimensional. And uh, so, you know, coming back from COVID and, you know, uh, I like the meetings that are hybrid because the live meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, where the people are in the room, it's three-dimensional and you can feel the energy, you know, and, and we still have that hybrid com- component where we have Zoom and, and that makes it possible for people to, to participate. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I think happened when we came back from COVID is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous sort of changed. And it uh, stopped being about the work. Started to be about the meetings, at least in my opinion. The people were showing up and they were, you know, they were literally sometimes just phoning it in. Maybe they weren't, doing, uh, they weren't doing as much step work as maybe they used to do, and they weren't reaching out to newcomers as much. It's just my opinion, you know, and, uh, and I think we have a responsibility. Anytime, anywhere, someone reaches out for help, we want the hand A to be there, and for that, I am responsible, right? And that responsibility is more than giving somebody a meeting directory, more than showing up three minutes before it starts and leaving three minutes after it's over. Because, uh, you know, I, you know I, this meeting, right? This is a group, it's a group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I, was, uh, I was here last week and, and uh, somebody asked me uh, a question and they said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a commitment. And somebody asked me, well, what's this group's message? And so we had a conversation. We had a conversation about the relationship that exists between the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, because if you look at the 12th step, it says that that our duty is to carry this message, these principles, the things that have been laid out in the book, and the things that they had in Akron and New York before the book was written. The idea that what we're trying to do here is remove defects of character and have that space or that void filled up with something that looks a lot like love, patience and generosity, good temper, guilelessness, honesty and sincerity, empathy. That that's what this message is, that Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps is supposed to provide. And now it's our obligation as individual alcoholics. And then there's this other thing. And you look at the traditions and it says, number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. So what's this group's message to our friend Patty, who's here with 30 days? What's this group's message, right? And I, I think we know what it is. And it's been this group's message as long as this meeting's been around, you know? And and I think it's, I think we broadcast it at the beginning of the meeting because every time I've been to this meeting somebody comes up here and they read that, uh, they read that little reading, that little reading about they stopped in time. And so it seems to me maybe, and it's just my opinion that the message of this group is that we're, reaching out to people who maybe don't understand what the bottom is, right? And I was confused for a long time about what the bottom was. You know, I'd had, uh, I was in default on my mortgage. My wife had left, the dogs were gone. The credit cards were passed due. Most of the furniture wasn't in the house anymore. I was in a state of despair, you know? Even when I wasn't drinking, I thought that there were listening devices in the house. But those are all just circumstances. It wasn't my bottom. I know people that come into Alcoholics Anonymous and drink again and some catastrophic event happens and they go and they drink again some catastrophic event happens. And apparently those things aren't their bottom either. You know, and, I, and, and it wasn't, uh, wasn't that long ago. I came to this conclusion and, and I mention it to people. And, and it's that, uh, it's my firm belief that the bottom is where willingness meets the absence of it. The bottom is where willingness meets the absence of it, and if we look at it that way, then it's all the same for all of us that at some point i just i can't do it anymore I just can't do it anymore i just you know i i can't take an, i can't take another drink, but i can't not not take another drink you know I'm not that jumping off place, you know and uh and something happens, moment of clarity, flash of brilliance, Wilson talks about it in his book. For me, I was standing under a palm tree at 19 Danglewood and Elise of Yale. I had the sense of being wrapped in a warm blanket. I heard a voice, didn't come from outside, and wasn't my own and it was just this voice I heard and it said, it's gonna be different but it's going to be okay. It was a spiritual experience. And I hope you've had one, Patty. I really do. I hope you've had that opportunity to just get a blink, just a a glimpse of it. Just the idea that the windows open just a little bit and you can just, you know, you can get through it. You know, just that moment in time where you put together 30 days. I mean, that's such a tremendous miracle. I remember when I had 30 days and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Because when I drink, I drink with reckless abandon. I take a drink, the drink takes a drink and I'm off and running. And then I do it again. I take a drink, the drink takes a drink and I'm off and running and I'm blacked out and I'm engaging in behaviors that I just, I wake up in the morning and I have the sense that I did some terrible thing, whatever it was. And, uh, and I think, oh, what, did I, what did that really happen? Did I really do that? And then you start, you start the frantic search for your memory of what, what you might've done. And then you start, you know, then you reach out to the people you were with and it say one more time, one more time. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that, you know? Because when I take the drink, the drink takes the drink and I'm off and running. And that's the allergy. That's the allergy that it describes in the uh, doctor's opinion, right? It, 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 it you know, it took a long time for me to understand that when I take the drink, the drink takes the drink, I'm off and running, I'm blacked out, and that's the allergy. Bam, we just got that thing done, all right? Next thing that people tried to explain to me, and, uh, and I don't know if it's true for any of you, but, you know, I, I've read chapter three, right? We read chapter three at almost every meeting. What does it say? That the great obsession of every alcoholic, right? What is it? It's going to be different next time. It's going to be different next time. It's gonna, I'm gonna try the old game again. It's, I, you know, I gotta try again because I can't live without it. Can't live, and I couldn't live without it. Cause she was gone, everything was gone and I couldn't live without it. I try the old game again. I won't even go. This time I'll just go to, the, I'll go to the grocery store. I'll get as much as I need and I won't leave the house. And then those things won't happen. And I, you know, I don't know about you but I'm the, I'm the guy uh, who's got black cord fever. <laughs> You know, my friend Bill talked about it last night at the Canyon Club, black cord fever. It's just now our phones don't have black cords. We still do the same stupid things. I, you know, I mean, I'd get on the telephone and, you know, I remember talking to my dad about how unfair it was and I could have been this. And I, I mean, it was like, it was like Marlon Brando and, you know, I could have been a contender, you know? <laughs> Just a sad sack talking to my dad and then having to talk to him again the next day. And I was in my 20s with a career and he just shake his head, you know, just sad. Try the old game again. What's that? That's the obsession. Some people have an obsession, you know, and I think Dr. Bob had it on top of being obsessed that it would be different next time. He was constantly thinking about was he going to get his next drink? When's he going to get another chance? I can't take this pressure of being sober. I need another drink. So that's a different kind of obsession, but I don't think that's chapter three. So the doctor's opinion tells me, right? Got an allergy, got an obsession. Then I got this other thing. Got this other thing. And it's the second half of the first step. I got a spiritual malady. Self, you're self-centered, dishonest, and afraid. I'm full of pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. Those are my defects of character. So you take away the alcohol. Abstinence. Just take it away. Go to meetings. Don't drink no matter what. I did that. And that's kind of what I see Alcoholics Anonymous becoming. Let's just go to meetings, not drink no matter what, and see if we can get a date. You know, and, uh, and people get mad when I say that. They got so mad. They got so mad because I and uh, some of my friends at the Canyon Club put a 12 foot skeleton man in front of the Canyon Club and we put a sign on it that said, I just went to meetings and I don't drink no matter what, right? They didn't like that. Especially the ones who thought that's the program because they said it. Why are you mocking my program? (laughs) And you know, and I was doing that. I was painting the rust. I painted the rust until 2018. You know, what's today? Today's 25th, I ought to remember that. I had to buy people presents. Oh, sorry. Kidding, I love Christmas. Thank you for wearing your sweater, I love it. I'm a big Christmas guy. And uh, I love Christmas. So today I've got 13 days, 10 months and 20 years, right? That's a long time without a cocktail. Wyatt knows that. He's heard me say that a lot. I say that because Dave Barge up in the South Bay taught me to say that. He said, if I told you that, if I started with my days and I went to my months and I then I went to my years, because you're going to have way too many years in this thing and not enough days. And Dave Barge told me, he said, you count that way, you'll be close to the people who are brand new, be close to the people who are just coming back. And that's where I want to be. I want to be close to people who are brand new. And I wanna be close to people who are just coming back. And I wanna be close to the new people in Alcoholics Anonymous and the young people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't care if they change the format anymore, the preamble or any of that nonsense. Set all that aside. I'm done with that war. Because this is life or death. There are people dying out there. They're dying from alcohol and they're dying from fentanyl. And we're gonna get all bollocks up over whether or not we're gonna change the words in the preamble. I fought that war in, in general service and it wasn't worth any time at all because all it did was take away the time that I could spend doing step work with people and alcoholics anonymous. I still do my general service commitments. I love it. But we got a lot of work to do in here. And I'll tell you what, I, I was, uh, 16, 17 years, sober, pain and rust. And, uh, and some of you heard me use that phrase before painting the rust is what we did in the United States Navy. That's not true. We did not paint rust. We actually removed the rust. And once we got rid of the corrosion, then we put on a fresh coat of paint. And, uh, what I was doing is I was just, uh, giving a good three minute pitch in participation meetings. And, uh, I was, uh, letting you know exactly how wonderful my life was, even though it wasn't. And, uh, you know, just trying to make it look like it was all going okay. And, uh, and what happened is I had a life crisis. I got an audit notice from the IRS. Uh, I uh, suddenly realized that I uh, had already owed them $750,000. $400,000 of that was uh, the, a co-liability with my wife. And, uh, and I knew that I was gonna get it for another quarter of a million dollars when they were done with the audit. I was telling people every, for years, I was telling everybody it was fine. Just lying. It's okay. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Tim, I loved your three-minute talk this morning. It's fantastic. You working any steps? Nah, why would I do that? That'll just get in the way of my three-minute pitch. I mean, I did a a four-step inventory so that I could say I did a four-step inventory and it was not the four-step inventory that I had to do when uh, uh, the United States government decided that they were going to take a close look at my books and records. And the gig was up and I, you know, I, was, I couldn't do it. I was petrified. And, and people in here know my story because I got honest and I started telling people what's really going on. I got a new sponsor, you know? And I drank for 27 years. I didn't do as much damage in 27 years of drinking than I did in 17 years of sobriety in terms of destroyed relationships and, and, and financial, I mean, it was crazy financial chaos. And then I, you know, I had, a, had another spiritual experience. And I met a man, I knew him, but I met him. I met him on God's terms, work doing the work. And he took me through the steps again. And uh, it was an amazing process. I just wish I wouldn't have waited so long. I think that's why I'm drawn to this meeting. I'm drawn to this meeting because when we're, you know, when we're, uh, when it's not Christmas and it's, uh, it's lots of seats and they're coming, they're coming here. This meeting was down to what, 15, 20 people? Man, and we've had 95 in here and we've had to go get chairs. And I, I mean, with all the financial success that I've experienced and all the financial failure, all that is nothing compared to the feeling of having to go get more chairs for this room. It's amazing because they're coming. And they've got, they have little or no time. And Josh stood up here and, you know, for his six month uh, uh, commitment, man, they're just coming up one month, two months, three months, four months, five, month, six months, seven months, man. And to watching, not watching people take, I got, you know, 26 years of sobriety and I haven't seen a newcomer in seven months. You know what I mean? None of that, but young people and, and people, maybe not young, but new in sobriety, or maybe people were just coming back, you know, it's been a marvelous experience. And, and what happened for me is I got busy with Mitch. Mitch took me through one, you know, took me through. Wasn't, it didn't take me through again. Cause I'm telling you what, you know, my truth is. My truth is I got the Alcoholics Anonymous. I did very little step work, but at 17 years of sobriety. This man took me through the steps and I've done it with some of the people in here because that was the key to me being comfortable in my own skin. Because I can't drink anymore. If I get uncomfortable in my skin again, I know what that looks like. Because in March of 2018, I was picking out bridges. I don't want to be here anymore. I know people that have had long term sobriety because I'm involved in a group with them now. It's called Disapproved Literature Group. It meets on Tuesday night at the Canyon Club. And we review, we read stuff that they read in Akron before they wrote the book, you know, because we're invested in Alcoholics Anonymous. Not just going to meetings and not drinking no matter what. We're reading the material, trying to figure out what, you know, what, what were they thinking when they had one, two, three years of sobriety in Akron? Trying to figure out how are we going to find the way out? Those people, those people were courageous souls. Can you imagine being in Akron? And then there's a half a dozen of you. And all you've got is this inkling. Man, we're lucky. We're so lucky. And, uh, and he took me through, you know, we did a first step, uh, we did a first step, uh, little narrative, because it says so to, to, in chapter one of the 12 and 12, it says, we went back through our drinking careers to see where we really lost control, where it was no longer a luxury. You gave it to me early. Holy cow. Have I, did I ever get drunk? There's what still time. You know, if you don't do all your steps, you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so we did, we did this thing where I had to go back to my, how many people here, have, and you know, this is not, look, I'm over, you know, having people think that I'd put the spotlight on me that's just a product of being enthusiastic about alcoholics anonymous. How many people have done a narrative? Anybody done a first step narrative? Bill, you do one, Josh, you do one, you've done one, Wyatt, you do one, or you're gonna do one, get you busy. You've done one, right? And what are we talking about? Just simply writing down what, you know, our relationship with alcohol. That's what Mitch had me do, right? And I turned around and I said, wow, you know, let's do this. So I started doing with all these people. I didn't have any sponsors after when, before this life crisis happened, started to get them. And then, uh, and then Mitch and I talked about insanity, you know, that idea that it's going to be different next time, not just the drinking, but every aspect of my life. I operated that way that it, everything. Uh, I'm going to try the old game again with the IRS. I'm gonna try the old game. Uh, with her or with that client or every relationship I had, it was just trying, it was, I had this obsession that it would be different. I just engage in the same behaviors and what would I get, you know, and that's insanity, right? And so we had a conversation about restoration. We talked about God. He had me do a little exercise and we sort of expanded that. Now, uh, you know, we, uh, we write a concept of right now what we think God is, and then we do some reading uh one of the things that we uh we talk about is this little pamphlet that they read in akron you know i suggest people read this and uh it's called the greatest thing in the world and it's it's about love it's about the nine elements of love and we don't read it for the theology or the christianity we read it for the core message right and uh and then and then mitch and i uh we did the third step. And the way we did the third step is we went through the instructions for the uh, inventory process. And he laid it out for me. He said, You do a resentment inventory. You're going to do three columns. Uh, you're going to draw a bold line. You're going to say the sick man prayer so that you're divorced of all your malice, ill will, hatred that you have for all those people. So that you can see with clarity what your part is and where you're to blame. That simple. Then you're gonna do a fear list, just like you did a fear list when you were looking for the bridge, because he had me do one in order to get me out of a panicked uh, situation. You ever done that, Wyatt? You ever done that where somebody says, you afraid? Let's do a fear list. Turn out okay, right? That's what I did. And so we do it. We, he had me uh, do it again. He gave me the instructions. He wanted me to write down what I was afraid of. Uh, he then had me number those fears. He then had me write the numbers down again. I had to say, I had to write down whether I was real or it was imagined. If it was imagined, I was supposed to ask God to remove that because there's no sense being afraid of monsters under your bed. And if it was real, I was supposed to put together a, a preparedness plan. What did I need to do in order to meet? If that fear is real, what do you got to do to meet it? Knowledge of God's will for me is what he said. He goes to the 11 step. Knowledge of God's will for you, Tim. What's God, What's God's will? Just write that down and then pray for the power to carry that out, right? Put together your preparedness plan. That was the fear list. And then he had me do the nine questions, as outlined on page sixty-nine of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was deathly afraid of the sex inventory. I don't know why. I think it's because we had still fear in people when we don't know what we're talking about, and we talk about the sex inventory like it's a like it's an uh, expose of my sexual activity. It's not. Read the book. It is a relationship inventory. It's got nine questions. I'm going to read them because this is fun, okay? Because I couldn't, and I'll tell you what. I'll give credit to my, I'll give the credit to my second wife because early on in our uh, relationship, she pointed this out to me, and I didn't understand the clarity of it. I didn't understand its significance, and it's on page sixty nine. Okay. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate? There's three of them. Whom had we hurt? That's the fourth one. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy? Did we unjustifiably arouse suspicion? Did we unjustifiably arouse bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? Those are the nine questions. Doesn't say in there how I have sex. The purpose of these questions is so that I can see with clarity how I manipulate people into doing things that they might not otherwise do. That's it. So I can see where I've got pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth, where I'm selfish, self-centered, dishonest, and afraid. Because the whole exposition, right, the whole discussion, the whole analysis is to identify my defects of character. I already stopped drinking. I was pretty good at that. I had abstinence. But I never dealt with the spiritual malady. That's why I was miserable. 17 years sober and restless, irritable and discontent. Dry, ready to burst into flames, prone to outbursts, and emotional disturbances. I still am, but not as bad, right? And Mitch, you know, and so he, we read those things. We did, we read that. And we got on our knees on Laguna Canyon Road right before the 7 a.m. meeting. And uh, we did the third step prayer, cars driving by and, my youngest stepdaughter was getting out of her car to go to the 7 a.m. meeting and she saw her stepfather on his knees with his sponsor doing the third step prayer. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them would bear witness to those that I would help with his power, thy love, and thy way of life. But I do thy will always, right? What are the difficulties? Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, sloth. It wasn't the Bank of America. It wasn't my first wife. It wasn't my second wife wasn't the people at work. It wasn't the people that I was, you know, that I was uh, doing service for in, in terms of my client relationships. It wasn't the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Dr. Paul talks about it, right? Not so much what needed to be changed in the world, but what needed to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Just abstinence is insufficient. So is the spiritual experience. Because I had that, right? I told you, I had that flash of brilliance. I had that moment of clarity. I've had them since. The spiritual awakening is a different thing. That's what Mitch told me. He said that the cure for the spiritual malady was a spiritual awakening. That I needed to come to understand that it was more important that I do for you than I do for myself. Even when they're slinging the darts of resentment turn the other cheek, you know? I mean, I get in trouble because I've done some reading, you know, and uh, one of the books that I recommend to people, not for its theology or its Christianity, is I suggest that they read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Why? Because he talks in there about the idea that it's all about self-sacrifice and constructive selfless action, that at least one guy was willing to go to the cross because he believed that through that action it might help others. I'm not asking you to believe that he's the son of God or the son of man or you know the Holy Spirit, any of that. I'm just telling you that history suggests that there was a, a one person who was willing to go to any lengths to be of maximum service to God and the people about him. There's other people that have done that too, you know? I think Joan of Arc was one of those people. I think that uh, Martin Luther King was one of those people. I think Bobby Kennedy was probably one of those people. There's a lot of people like that who are willing to go to any lengths to be of maximum service to God and the people about them. That's what we do here. That's what we do here. Without any expectation or reward when they're slinging the darts of resentment, we just dig in and get the work done. We find the newcomers. When we're in Alcoholics Anonymous, my friend Patty Ochoa used to say, and, and, uh, and I can say that, I was friends with Patty Ochoa. She would, uh, I was new at the Saturday night meeting at the Canyon Club, and she had a commitment there. She. She said she was a basket case. She carried the basket for the seventh tradition. <laughs> and uh, and we'd, she'd smoke cigarettes, and I'd sit out in the, you know, I was t- just another failed relationship. And, you know, she'd say, Tim, it's not falling apart, it's falling together. And she'd say, You got to come all the way in and you got to sit all the way down. Then at half measures availed us nothing. The result was nil unless we let go absolutely. Let go of what? Let go of self. Half measures? Half measures are abstinence. I haven't had a drink in a long time. Half measures. You want full measures? Get busy. I had to. I was gonna kill myself, seriously. When I called Mitch, I was thinking about what bridge I was gonna jump off because I had eight and a half million dollars worth of life insurance. I knew I was gonna owe the IRS a million dollars and I just couldn't face the music and I wasn't gonna drink because I wasn't gonna walk in as a newcomer because I don't have that moral strength. I don't have that courage. My, my, My fear was is that you'd all know the truth. And I'm the kind of person then who didn't want anybody to know the truth. I wanted you to believe that I was something I wasn't. And so I did what he asked me to do. I wrote those things down because it says in the book, we wrote these things down and I read it to him. And I put together that plan and he said, you know, uh, You have to change everything you do. And I got busy. I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I got, uh, I went back to the uh, Saturday night meeting and I got a basket commitment. And I got active in the board at the Canyon Club. And I became a GSR for uh, uh, District 12 for general service. And then I, you know, circumstances, you know, stuff just unfolds and you either answer the call or you don't, you know, I'm not very good at returning telephone calls. I'm so horrible about returning telephone calls that I don't even have voicemail because that way you won't expect me to call you back. But, you know, when, when I, sometimes when I'm asked to do something, I do show up and I do do it. And I was asked to, uh, to do the secretary commitment for District 12 and I did it. And, you know, and then COVID came and they, uh, Romy needed a, an old DCMC. I said, shh, shh, the guy quit. I said, yeah, I'll do it, you know? Cause Mitch told me, he said, if you don't get busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, you're gonna think about your problems all the time and you're gonna kill yourself. And he said, why don't you, uh, you know, you've, you've done some of this work now, turn around and help somebody else. And it, it was like magic. It started to show up. And uh, and I started taking people through the steps as Mitch had taken me through the steps. You know, and it's been just, it's been a fantastic exercise. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound jaded tonight. I, I hope I'm giving you a sirens call that there's problems and structural issues in Alcoholics Anonymous about how, some of us are, are treating this very precious jewel, and that maybe it's our obligation that we make sure that the program is outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is brought to people so that they have the same opportunity that we had, so that these young people who are dying of fentanyl get an opportunity to see to find the way out. It's all I want to do now. I mean, I got work to do in terms of a career, but I'm so heavily invested about in Alcoholics Anonymous that I think I scare people. You know, I really care what happens. And, uh, and there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. And I'm going to keep doing it. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I stand a really good chance in 2023 of getting the IRS paid off. I'm almost going to miss them. (laughs) You know, I got in this, like everything we do, I kind of got in this ritual of paying them. And it was just such a good feeling to, you know, send them money. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that's going to happen. It's just all, there's just so many miracles, just one after another. And, you know, I, so I've gotten to this place and I'm starting to get asked to speak a little bit, you know, and and one of the things that I'm, I'm really kind of focused on is blowing up some of these stupid myths in alcoholics anonymous, like this myth about the sex inventory that's, that literally stops people from doing the four-step. It literally stops people. They'll tell you, why didn't you do a four-step? Because I I'm I'm feel guilty or I have remorse or... You know, I'm caught up about my sexual identity and I don't wanna tell anybody. And they'll be honest with you if you ask them, why don't you do it? And they're like, petrified. And if they knew that that's not what they were being required to do, then maybe they'd do it. So I'm trying to blow up that myth. And then there's this other myth. And I heard this, you know, I heard this from the time I was brand new. This idea that newcomers are supposed to come in here, sit down, shut up and listen. How many people, yeah, anybody ever heard that? Somebody say that? This is the Akron Manual that was written to, for the Akron Group in, the, in, in 1944, 45, 46. And you know what it says? It says, you're now new. You have something to say. It's your duty to stand up, even if you just express your gratitude for not having a drink today, maybe yesterday, maybe 30 days ago. That's what this little manual was telling people in Akron. And we've made up all this story about how new people don't have anything to tell us. I want the people that have been, who have suffered and gone back out To come in here on day one, day two, day three, and tell me what it was like and what they were like so that their sacrifice has meaning in the context of keeping us all sober instead of shunning them and treating them like they're not worthy and that they ought to sit in the back because we seem to know what we're doing because, you know, somehow by not going to meetings and not drinking no matter what we think we've got it all together. Tired of burning our people who come back. And then there's this other idea that's nowhere in anything I've ever read. Men only sponsor men and women only sponsor women. Where does it say that? I am responsible. Anytime, anywhere, someone reaches out for help I want the hand of AA to be there and I'm responsible. Not their gender, not their identity, not their race, not their creed, not their color, not their natural, national orig- uh, origin. It's not my job to pick and choose. If somebody wants help, they should get it. And we should be willing to help anyone, anytime, anywhere. I'm running out of time. I'm gonna read this if my phone works because it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) This is from uh, The Grapevine, 1952. I read this last night. The first Christmas for AA was the depression year of 35. There were three old timers to market, hardly a dozen newcomers to share it with them in Akron. Doctor, uh, to share it with them in Akron. Dr. Bob and Bill D were going on their second six months. Four recruits had four months uh, to two months. In New York, Bill W had 13 months since his last drink, seven months since his historic trip to Akron and the start of AA. In Akron, the six gathered with their families at Dr. Bob's. There was no ceremony, no exchange of presents. The 12 steps had not yet been formulated. The big book was only a vague stirring that would not even be in manuscript until three more Christmases had been achieved. But there was joy that this most dangerous of times for the alcoholic had arrived and 24 hours by 24 hours was being mastered. There were thanks, remembered one of the two who survives that first Akron Christmas, that we had come this far. However, I am certain that there was still considerable fear and trembling, not fear that this new way would not work, but doubt and uncertainty that we would be able to hold on to it. We remembered our many failures and thanked God for what he had already granted us and prayed sincerely for continued strength. I'm not, uh, I'm not an Alcoholics Anonymous to see that I, get, uh, that I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. So when the next man or woman walks through that door, they can have a life beyond their wildest dreams. My name's Tim Ayers, I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for having me. <laughs>